everybody. I am Marina Malaguti and I'm your host at Embossed. Embossed is a podcast I've created to highlight women with amazing paths of success here in Chicago. Last year, I set out to interview the only 40 female CTOs in the city. And this year, I've expanded to uh, female CEOs and women in politics and government in Chicago. I'm excited to share these interviews with you, and I hope you contact me at www.unbossed.io or email me at marina at unbossed.io. Hope to see you soon. Debbie Reynolds, the Data Diva, is a world-renowned technologist, thought leader, and advisor handling global data privacy, cyber data breach response, and complex cross-functional data drilling projects. Ms. Reynolds is an internationally published author, highly sought speaker, and top media presence about global data privacy, data protection, and emerging technology issues. Ms. Reynolds has been named to the global top 20 cyber risk communicators in European Risk Policy Institute 2020 and recognized as one of the stellar women who know cyber by cybersecurity ventures in 2021. Ms. Reynolds also produced the top five data privacy podcast in 2021 called the Data Diva Talks Privacy. Welcome. Hey, everybody. This is Marina, your podcast host at Unbossed. Today, my guest is Debbie Reynolds. Uh, She is the Data Diva, Global Data Privacy and Protection Expert Strategist, a technology, a speaker, an author, an educator. Debbie has many talents. Welcome, Debbie, to the podcast. Thank you so much, Marina. I'm really happy to be able to do this show with you today. Thanks. And uh, I'm excited to talk to a fellow podcaster, podcast host. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, I'm a, uh, Before we jump into the meat of the discussion, um, can you give us some context about who you are um, and maybe where you grew up, a story about you as a little girl, and how do you, how do you end up here in Chicago? Oh, great. Uh, wow, that's a big list. Let's see. So I was uh, born in Chicago. I grew up actually in Gary, Indiana. My parents moved there for a bit, and then I came back to Chicago to go to university. I uh, went to Loyola University. And then I started my career here sort of by accident in technology. So I wasn't, I was a philosophy major in college. I was going to go to law school and uh, my mother was diagnosed with cancer my uh, senior year in college. And so I wanted to find something I could do and be with her. So I decided I would buy a computer, teach myself to use it. And then I started doing like desktop publishing. That's what they called it back then. It's like graphic design. So that's how I taught myself <laughs> computers. And then I started getting interested in databases. And a friend of mine asked me to help out a university library. They were uh, That was at the time when they were going from card catalogs to create databases. So I fell in love with data. Uh, so I've had a very long data career, uh, over 30 years, actually. Uh, so I, um, you know, I started with again, university libraries, and I moved over to um, helping Fortune 500 companies create databases of legal documents, and I did that for many years. Now it's like an industry unto itself. Back then it wasn't uh, many years ago. And then uh, because I worked with so many multinational companies and did a lot of work with data movement around the world, a lot of people who knew me would con- from those companies will contact me directly and say, hey, you know, we have a privacy issue we want to talk to you about. So that's pretty much how my uh, technology career started. Uh, um, I'm sorry, my privacy part of my technology career started. Yeah. And actually, um, a woman that seen me speak, uh, this is like in, I don't know, 2015 or so, someone has seen me speak at a conference and asked me to come to their company to speak. It was actually a a general counsel at McDonald's Corporation. So they asked me to come speak to their corporate law department about uh, the general data protection regulation, which was a regulation that had not yet gone into effect at that point. Uh, So that's kind of, you know, the start. And then, as you said, um, 
uh, around 2018, someone at PBS called me up. I thought it was like a fun drive or something. I almost didn't pick up the phone. They asked me to come speak on TV uh, about this new regulation. And so since then, so many other countries and cities and states have passed a lot of privacy, data privacy regulation. And it's been pretty interesting uh, nice. to see how that, that has come about. So, yeah. Where, where did you learn or what inspired you to, with all of the things that you could have chose to do, what inspired you to pick up that computer when you were with your mom? You know, I had to find something that I could do and be with her. So I couldn't do something where I had to be away from her. And I thought, you know, if I do something on computers and I'm creating, you know, I guess it's creating content, right? I don't know. I hadn't thought about it back then. If I could do something to earn money that way, I would sort of do that. Um, but also, you know, one thing around that time that had inspired me about privacy that got me interested, my mother was reading a book uh, called The Right to Privacy, and it came out in 1997. And it just sparked my interest. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think things are private that aren't. And a lot of people think, especially in the U.S., we think, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, and we have all these freedoms. And then when you look at the fine print, it's like, you know, <laughs> privacy really isn't in there, you know? So, you know, that concerned me greatly and still. So it concerns me as an individual. And then I help businesses be able to navigate that as well. Because you want to mm -hmm. protect the rights of people, but then you want to make money too. So there's a way to do that. Uh, so I help well, do it. Yeah, I love I love that. Um, what are other misconceptions uh, that people usually think they have a right to privacy, but they actually don't? You know, it's like, uh, so I, I guess the best way I can describe it when, so in the Constitution, we have a, a right against unreasonable search and seizure from the government. Mm -hmm. and, but that doesn't, so if you're not in a search or seizure situation, they don't say anything about anything else. You know what I'm saying? So, like, what if you're not, you know, what if you don't want to share stuff? Like, do you have a right to not share? And if that's really not articulated in our laws in the way that it should be. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of laws that you think about when you think about privacy, they're about consumer activity. So if you're not consuming, what right do you have when you're not transacting? So if you're, let's say if you're indigent or you don't have a lot of money, then you don't have any privacy if you're not actually buying things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's troubling to me that there's a gap there. And so, you know, like I like to tell people not every human is a consumer. So I like to think about privacy as a human right as opposed to just a consumer right. Absolutely. Um, and um, we, like, I, I'm jumping in a little bit ahead, but um, there's a lot of trends around how privacy, uh, privacy as a basic right, it's coming in to corporations, into legislation. Um, there's even talks about people owning their own data at the individual level and getting compensated for the use of that data. What are, what are your thoughts about that and or other trends that um, yeah. be coming in? That's actually a pretty good one. Um, I think a lot of people in privacy, they argue whether you should or shouldn't earn money from your data. And to me, I feel like that ship has sailed already, right? So We're not getting any. <laughs> right, these billion-dollar, trillion-dollar companies are making money from selling data already. So the, the question now is, are you going to going to benefit from it or not so you have to decide whether you want to do that um i think that conversation is gonna you know in terms of a future trend that's a conversation is gonna start happening very soon um because now we have a situation where consumers uh, like for example apple had rolled out this new uh, ios 14.5 it had all these new privacy features in it and one privacy feature they had in it in terms of marketers they sort of opted people out of marketing unless they want to opt in and and i think as of this date very few i want to say like less than five percent of people 
who had downloaded that actually opted into advertising. So if the advertisers can't get your information for free, you know, they're going to eventually try to offer you money for it. So I think the data monetization uh, question uh, will start coming up very soon because the, because these marketers, some of these marketers, let's say they're making like a billion dollars a year or something. So if they can't get access to these people, you know, maybe they'll make zero. So instead of making zero, they'll say, hey, let me give you some money. You know, give me data. I'll give you money. And then we can both make money. So I think that's going to happen. I'm kind of, I'm kind of half super excited about this because it feels brighter than, yeah. <laughs> than, uh, than what is happening right now. Or are they just like taking whatever I put out and just doing whatever you want with it just because I put it out or just because the platform is free? Like, um, and also I am excited for um, anybody to make money, especially people that are over consumers of the technology, which um, uh, in my opinion may actually extremely benefit marginalized communi communities that use right. this, these tools um, and were effectively like uh, people of color were effectively the biggest spender during the pandemic and then, then we can continue to see those trends um, right. and really like benefit from their contribution to the economy, honestly. I haven't thought about that, but you're right. It's like people who use the technology so much, why not benefit, I guess? <laughs> you know, I think the, the issue is, especially with a free service, the um, the value exchange is very asymmetrical. So, yes. uh, you know, let's say you like Facebook, Facebook is free. They may earn $5 thousand dollars a year from you you know but you may not get five thousand dollars in value from them so yeah. i think that monetization issue can definitely even up that exchange matter and make people feel you know maybe to make people feel like okay you know maybe i'll share more or maybe i'll share different types of things because of this so i don't know it's it's a slippery slope in a way because people you know i heard people say like i don't want someone who's starving feel like that that's the only way they can make money is to sell their data. But at another, on the flip side is if you're a content creator, right, you're creating value that the company benefits from, why should you benefit from it as a content creator? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. These are like very interesting topics and I feel like I, I can talk to you about this all day. <laughs> but let's, let's talk about your career. So you fell into technology. Um, you kind of just decided, you know, this is what's happening and you jumped in it. Um, now that you're here, like since the last, I think, five years, we've been hearing a lot more story about like women participating in the tech industry. Um, how has how was your experience compared to um or even not compared to like how was your experience in the industry um as a black woman as a black woman in privacy probably we haven't seen uh, and still today there's not that many of you no it's not <laughs> <laughs> right so there so there aren't a lot there aren't enough women in tech. There aren't a lot of black women or women of color in tech. There definitely aren't. You know, for me, there aren't enough women of color that are getting exposure in tech. So it's not like we don't exist. It's like there are so few of us and we don't, you know, a lot of times, let's say you go to a conference or something, you know, I go to conferences where I'm like, sometimes I'm the only black person. Like on a, you know, in the whole conference, but I look the whole speaker thing, it's just me, and it's like, oh my goodness, you know. So I would love to see, and I try to get people that I know that are really good to try to get out there more, right? Uh, to be able to, you know, speak at conferences, you know, write blogs, you know, get involved so that people. Uh, you know, can call you up to be, you know, so you can be more present. So to me, it's, a, it's kind of a double-edged thing. It's one is there aren't enough uh, women and women of color in these roles. And then there isn't enough representation. There's an under-representation of those people because, you know, for, you know, whether they, they're not getting the opportunities, whether they're not chasing the opportunities. And I try my best to try to, you know, 
half people and sometimes like pulling teeth. It's like, oh my God, I need you, you know, speak at this conference or, you know, do this different thing. So I'm always excited when I meet someone who really wants that opportunity. And people have called me up. It's funny because they're, you know, I get a message on LinkedIn and someone say, oh, I really like what you're doing. You know, let me know if there's an opportunity comes up where I can do stuff. And a lot of times when people call me, I do have stuff that I can like, you know, get them involved in. So I've been really happy to be able to plug people into opportunities to do different things. So to me, it's fun. That's nice. That's awesome. Um, and beyond like the, definitely like, like you, you were saying, like you kind of like reaching, reaching for other people to come up in technology. Um, but I, I still wonder like your experience in, in the industry throughout the years. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you want to tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I tell people, you know, I've been black all my life, so I don't have anything else to compare it to, right? <laughs> but I think, you know, for me, being able to uh, find your own path, right? So not necessarily, there's nothing wrong with looking at someone else's path and try to follow it. Technology is very different. So a lot of things we're talking about are being created right now. So there really aren't a lot of paths. You got to kind of create your own. Uh, But I think it's really important that you kind of study and really dive in to a subject that you can look at more deeply so that you can be an expert. So that helps you stand out among other people and, you know, most employers aren't going to push you in that direction, right? Because they want you, they have a job that they want you to do for eight hours a day or whatever. So they really, you know, that's their thing. But like, what is your thing? Like outside of work, like, are you (laughs) reading books? Are you studying? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing to make yourself unique? Because you're, you know, I tell people, you know, you're not your job, you know, that's what you do eight hours a day. So who are you the other 16 hours? a day uh you know so you have to have an identity people need you need to have a brand i tell people you have a brand whether you like it or not uh but branding is you know if you do it right is about you being able to articulate or show people who you are what you can do and you can tell your story so that someone else is trying to fill in the gap for you absolutely and uh it sounds like you've charted your path uh, in this in this tech world, um, I I really like that advice that you said. Like uh, when <laughs> when you said uh, the employer wanted you to work eight hours a day, that's their thing. But what's your thing? <laughs> it's almost it, yeah. It's almost yeah. I, I can completely relate to that because it's almost as if sometimes we can take on this like their responsibility of 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 that part of the work as well when in reality you know i totally can see how we can separate ourselves from our job have other interests other interests do other things beyond beyond our work what are some of the things that you spent time doing in order to develop your brand uh, beyond your work uh you know i read a lot i read a ton um i don't I don't think, if you don't like reading, privacy is probably not a good profession for you. So you gotta read, you know, it's a lot of regulations, a lot of news. Uh, I follow the technology. So I look at the technology and then I think, okay, so what what's going to happen as a result of this? So I've been pretty successful in being able to kind of guess what, you know, those trends are. Um, so definitely, definitely reading, definitely understanding the technology. Um, being able to communicate, you know, for me, I have to be able to communicate to anybody. So I tell people I need to be able to, to communicate stuff about privacy to someone who's 80 or someone who's eight years old. So I do my best to try to talk to people just in all walks of life because privacy is a human problem. And so it can't be just ivory tower, you know, people at conferences with, you know, leather patches or tweed jacket conversations. It has to be, you know, Everybody, you know, your your grandmother, you know, your parents, your kids, 
Uh, you know, I talk with business executives at all levels. Not everyone is super hyped about technology. So, you know, I try to make it, try to make, let the message meet the person where they are. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, any, um, uh, any like uh, mentors or allies you've encountered in um, in your career? And if so, how did that help you navigate uh, the tech field? Yeah, uh, I have a really great mentor. Uh, we've known each other for almost 30 years. He was one of my first bosses that I ever had. Um, when I transitioned from kind of library science to more of uh, uh, you know, working with with uh, corporations, and so uh, his name is Mike Bryan. I'm going to embarrass him. Uh, and so we've been friends. He's been a mentor to me for all this time, and you know, we've lived in different cities, and we'll you know we'll go to conferences or just run to each other just by happenstance or have you know our thing is we'll have breakfast a couple times a year and hang out. He's in Chicago mm-hmm. City now, uh, but. You know, he's been someone that I can bounce ideas off of, and he's given me great advice in my career, just business in general. So, yeah. you know, I love to have him as a sounding board. It's really cool because we're, you know, I'm in a different industry than him. I think, I, you know, I know a lot of times when people think about mentors, they think, oh, I want a mentor in my industry. You know, having someone who's outside our industry is probably even better. Because they can see things maybe you can't see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, business is business. So regardless of what you're doing in business, you know, there are some common themes that you can pick up on from all types of business people. So he's been great. What is a lesson that you can share? I mean, there's. I'm sure, Mike, if you're hearing this, you have plenty of lessons that I'll <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, what is something that has resonated or has recently come up for you that uh, you can share with us? Uh, good question. I always, you know, one of my early, one of my early bosses told me something and it still resonates today. And I tell people this all the time is, you know, he says a good job doesn't love you back. So a lot of times people invest so much in jobs and don't invest enough in other things that they think are important. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to stay late at work and miss my kids baseball game. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's not the way life is supposed to be. Right. Uh, because you can always stay late at work, but you're, you know, having that time with your family or figuring out what's, you know, the best for you is really important. So, you know, work has its place, but you have to, you know, can't supersede you having a life. Yeah, absolutely. Which takes me to honestly, like, um, something that I've been recently super interested in creating a framework around, which is like the future of work. Mm-hmm. Um, what an opportunity with COVID and with what you're seeing about like a good job doesn't love you back with people realizing that they actually work from home but really they could work from anywhere right have you seen or experienced any trends around the future of work um and or any hopes for um what it could look like yeah i think before covid we don't want to admit it but i think the five day you know come in work nine to five five days a week that was broken before Mm -hmm. COVID. So it wasn't working before COVID. So COVID made it more evident that it was broken. Uh, Tell me me more about it. Tell me, because I know I have a perspective on how I think it was broken, mm -hmm. but I want to hear your perspective. Oh, yeah. So I have tons of thoughts about this. (laughs) Like I knew a lady, she she worked five, five days a week in the office and she had little small kids and she wanted to take, she wanted to work from home one day a week and her employer gave her such a hard time about that. You know, that would have made her life so much easier with her kids and stuff that she had to do. And they're just insistent and couldn't really articulate why it was so important that she'd be in the office this, you know, five days a week. So now we have COVID and she's at home five days a week. So it's like, 
you know, when it benefited you, you wanted me to work from home. But when it benefited me, you didn't want me to. So I think that's one reason why we're having problems or employers are having problems, people getting going back into the office. Because we're like, it wasn't working before. Like I I didn't um, you know, I would tell people, you know, why does everybody leave home at the same time and come back at the same time? Yeah, that's ridiculous. I don't why understand. Like, why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> or that, uh, you know, your kid gets out of school before you get out of work. So now you have to pay for that extra two out. That's ridiculous. Yes. Thank you. That doesn't I make sense. That makes sense. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was like, 50s housewife, the wife is at home, she's waiting for the kid to come and then yeah. feed them, and then the dad comes. You're like, the wife is just not that way. So, like, why are we trying to. Like, the wife is a husband now, and you know, right. everything, <laughs> you know everything is different. So. Right, exactly, exactly. So, I feel like, you know, I think this is a reckoning on work and how people really needed that flexibility. Um, and you know, it's just going to be different now. I think a little work is going to be hybrid now. It has to be. People just aren't going to put up with that. Cause I, you know, I've seen people and people have told me anecdotally, they're like, you know, I like this, <laughs> you know, this is working out great for me, flexibility and stuff. And if my employer doesn't like that, then I'm going to go work somewhere else. Yeah. I, I am 100% with the story. Um, you know, like having a, a four-hour commute at some point and I was like why is this a thing and <laughs> being a mother I'm like why is my school not supporting my working hours I, this, it's just so much more stressful and ridiculous and lonely honestly and like just silly uh right. than, you know what we care to admit and I have this uh, almost fear that we're just going to go, everybody's going to go well, back the way it was because of yeah. how human nature is. Then yeah. instead of taking an opportunity to truly think about how we would like it to be and how it could work better for, for others as well. Yeah. I had a guy too, short story. I had a guy that I was working on a project with the company and they had a very rare and very expensive software solution, several million dollars. And very few people in the U.S. knew this tool. So I knew a guy, he was very well versed in this tool, didn't want to work full time. I didn't have full time hours for him. I just needed like some of his time. And he agreed to that. And this thing was like, he wanted to work remotely. And I'm like, great. You know, so I had a, at that point, um, when I took the proposal to management, they're like, yeah, yeah, well, we, you know, it's fine, but he has to work in the office. I'm like, what? You know, it's ridiculous. It's like, I would be a fool not to take this deal. You know, it's like, there's no one in thousands of miles that can do what he can do. He's remote. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Why would I, you know, why would I not take the opportunity to utilize his skills and just because he doesn't want to come in the office. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I just did it anyway. I was like, yeah, because no one ever knew if he was in the office or not. So I was like, yeah, yeah, let's just do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, everything was remote. Like I signed the time cards remote, you know, he had a desk and you could see the stuff moving on his computer, right? But he wasn't physically in the office. So, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, I used to do that too, actually. <laughs> I'm not going to say where or <laughs> which management, but I used to put up my remote computer, remote in for, to my computer, and it looked like I was working because, you know, <laughs> this did this. Right. <laughs> I, I technically was working, just not there. That was right, not there. exactly. Yeah. Like, um, I can't, I don't think. Employers don't. A lot of employers don't have a good reason. They never had a good reason, and they now they really don't have a good reason. So before it was like, yeah, we need to all be in the office. Well, why? We, we just need to be here. But now that everyone's out of the office. It's like, okay, now what? Yeah. So let's play the advocate. Like, what about the um the the theory or the theory that says like that location builds culture and that alignment it's so much easier being in person you need to be in person in order to build a culture and to build values at a company 
Um, and I am using this tone not because I'm making fun of it. It's just because I want to make sure that some of these things are addressed. Yeah. I don't agree with that at all. You know, you have culture all over. You know, you can find ways to have culture. Um, I think there are certain jobs that you do or certain things that you do where it makes sense to be in person. But, you know, I'm definitely not going to, for me, I'm not going to risk my health to be, you know, in a rah-rah session. Uh, especially yeah. we can do that, you know, remotely. So you know, it has to be like a really good reason, you know, because I, I, you know, I was, you know, in situations where I would go, I would fly to New York for an hour meet somebody and come back so why why would i do that <laughs> <laughs> unless you actually want to go to new york yeah right so that right exactly so i want to go to new york that's different but it's like wouldn't it be easier wouldn't it save me more money if i just had a call with someone and you know it, it, you know to me those types of things don't make sense in the future right uh maybe Let's say if you were doing something where you had to be, you know, several days, you know, people collaborating on site or, you know, doing something. Maybe that's different. But, you know, again, a lot of those are few, few and far between. And I know friends at companies, that, you know, they're looking at how much they're saving on business travel. You know, so I think they're going to be rethinking that at least. You know what I mean? Like not all business travel is necessary travel. And then. You know, the time that you're spending away from your family, you know, that all adds up. Absolutely. That, that is if you like your family and you want to spend Right, time. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because apparently there's trends in the pandemic that we've saw huge spike in, you know, separations and disagreements. Right, yeah, so, right, yeah. Um, that's, okay, so here's another thing that, um, and why I think, like, we could do a better job at this, too, is, I think that while I do agree with with all of this, I don't think technology is there to really. Um, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to say that to make it seem like we're in person because I don't think it would ever be ever as close, like so close or equal to it. Mm -hmm. But I, there could be more, in my view, at least. I don't know what. I don't have a solution, but. I do think there's a gap between the technology that we have available today and the technology that we need in order to truly have a sense of collaboration and organization and um, and like uh, work dynamics that are better yeah. suited for these hybrid models that may be coming up in the future. Oh, yeah, definitely. I had the pleasure of attending a couple of conferences last year that were like Avatar. They were virtual reality conferences. So... Mm -hmm almost like a game you put you know you dress up and you figure out how you're gonna look and it has your name so you you walk around and you encounter people and you talk and it was great it was so much fun because you know uh it puts less pressure on you so like right now like you're on zoom you have that little makeup like this you know <laughs> you have an avatar so you can be in your pajamas and hair rollers and no one see what you look like but you're like interacting and you're talking to people and i thought that was great it was it was a great break away from just having just a flat like you know uh face-to-face -face call mm -hmm. yeah and then you're just kind of walking around and the campus had like little features where you can get on a boat and like ride around. It was fun. So I'm hoping to see a lot more of that. I think that there are going to be a lot more uh, applications of virtual reality, augmented reality stuff in the workplace. Um, you know, I've actually seen uh, where some companies are, um, are developing things where they have training things where you're like an avatar. So instead of you watching a video, you know, for HR, you'll play a role, right? So you go into the role play thing and that's how you do that. So I'm excited to see that the more gamification of, you know, the more interaction in kind of a virtual space. Yeah, absolutely. And, but there's still one thing that is still going to bother me from this that I just want to mention and, and see if I get a reaction from you, which is like, while our mind and our eyes are going to be moving, our body is going to be still. And it is very hard for me to reconcile this. I wish I could take technology with me wherever I am instead of being stuck in a, in a stationary desk right. while I use the technology. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I think there's even 
the next level could be enhanced reality everywhere or something right. yeah. but not so much that <laughs> people yeah. can't talk to each other in person anymore it's it's gonna be a balance <laughs> yeah totally well i mean there are so there are things being developed right now that are exactly what you're talking about right now uh so it's called more augmented reality so it's like almost like a 3d map a four dimensional map of the world you walk down the street you may have glasses that look like your regular sunglasses and just tell you different things and you're interacting uh, in different ways so i think it's going to be really interesting i think people are going to be surprised to see how this all plays out i am excited for uh something like this uh and mostly because i hope it allows people and I don't necessarily have any anything by with people wanting to walk to the office. I just want people to live the best life that they can. And if that is not in an office, then it, why should it be? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, should we talk about podcasting a little bit? Sure. Absolutely. So, I'm a newbie. Tech, literally a podcast. You have one of the uh, top podcasts on um, Apple Podcasts. Want to tell, tell the audience a little bit about it. Um, and then... Give me some advice. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, okay, so, well, my podcast is called the Data Diva Talks Privacy Podcast. It was rated the top five data privacy podcast. Yeah. It's pretty cool because in the top five is four billion dollar companies and then me. <laughs> Talking about privacy stuff. It's actually kind of nice to be up there. Uh, podcasting is... You know, I read a ton about it and it took me about four months before I could actually, you know, figure out the concept of what I wanted to do, you know, do the equipment thing, you know, just figure out how I wanted to present the podcast or whatever. Um, and so I think the one thing that they don't tell you is that, you know, people say, oh, it's very inexpensive to be able to get into podcasting, but it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours, you know, it's like for... I would say for every hour of recording, you probably have six hours of work that you have to like put in to actually completing an episode. And a lot of people don't even do that. So um, they, I think the stat I read recently is that I think there are over 2 million podcasts. It's, very, it's a very low number, right? Mm -hmm. But only about 700,000 of those have episodes that have uh, released in the last 30, 90 days. So... So it's very, you know, a lot of people start and then they probably like get tired out and just don't do it. So they say that a lot of people start, they do like three and then they like give up or something. And then so, yeah, as you get more episodes, people start paying you more attention. And I guess I found out, I guess the magic number is 25. So once you get to 25 episodes, they consider you like you're serious, right? Well, <laughs> I guess I'm serious. I am I am officially serious. <laughs> yeah, you're serious. Right, exactly. So then you get a lot more attention because they're like, this is not like a passing fad. <laughs> you know, this person's putting out content and, you know, the internet likes new information. So mm -hmm. it's like a hungry bear. So if you're not feeding it new information, <laughs> it's not going to pay you any attention. I love that imagery about the internet. I never thought about it that way, but you're totally right. Um, what, um, okay, if you had to tell your uh, uh, early podcast day self a few tricks to just like bypass some of the hurdles that you just faced, mm -hmm. give me like a couple of tricks so that I know how to do this right. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, the best trick that I, can tell anyone is to do uh, the production of the podcast in batches. So let's say you record a couple or whatever, and then you know all that post recording work that you do is hard, right? It takes a lot. It takes. It's not necessarily hard. It's time consuming. Time consuming so yes. if you do it in batches, like uh, like so, for me one weekend a month I do production podcasts so I, I may have recorded four or five but for that weekend I'm doing all the steps for those four or five because they're, they're the same right so you're doing is a repetition you're doing the same thing over and over as opposed to trying to do record one do the production record do the production so that's one thing that's helped me a lot with content. I do that. I have weekly videos come out as well, and I do the same. So for the weekly videos, I record four 
at a time. And then I release one a week. So that helps me stay ahead. So anything that you can do, um, I try to stay for my podcast, I try to stay four to six weeks ahead. So for every episode I release, I have four or six in the can already already ready to go. So that's my best advice. uh, Because at first when I start, I started doing video before I started doing podcasts. And then, so every week I would, you know, uh, I put on makeup and do all this other type of stuff, have the research, and it was like agonizing trying to do that every week. And I was like, this is so bad. I have to find a better way. And then, you know, researching, you know, you have to do a lot of research before you do videos so you know what you're talking about. So now what I do, I do research constantly. So I'm always like, if I see an article, I'll flag it right then, and then I can go back to my file or everything so that I'm not chasing stuff. And then for the videos, it saves me a lot on makeup, too, where I do, I get it all made up. I have my topics, and I do four videos in one sitting, and then I, you know, we produce them, and then I release them once a week. What is um, an episode that has had, surprisingly to you, um, more attention than what you thought it would? Oh, wow. Uh, there's an episode. I absolutely love it. I've probably listened to it to myself 10 times. Really? Which one? Yeah. So it's a, a guy who's a head of policy and uh, privacy policy and fairness at Facebook. Um, his name is Pedro Pavone. Uh, I can't remember what episode number he was, but he's cool. So he's a he's Latino. Uh, he likes to talk about his Latino excellence and him and I had really cool conversations about, you know, privacy, about, you know, being, you know, a black, being black and brown person and privacy about bias, you know, the things that we go through that maybe some of our other, you know, privacy folks don't experience, you know, because they're not of color. Um, so I thought I loved our episode because I feel like that conversation we had very few people can have because <laughs> we're talking about things from our experience as opposed to anecdotally you know so we talked a lot about uh, facial recognition and we talked about algorithms making decisions about people and I thought it was a very real conversation and it was so unique I think so I love it because it's like who else could talk say this you know <laughs> that is really awesome Oh, I love uh, I love when those episodes happen where uh, you put them out. Well, I personally have had a couple where I put them out and I don't think, like, I, I, I had a good vibe about them, but I didn't never thought, and then they become more popular than others. And I was like, oh, who figures? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, anything else about podcasting that can... Um, help me or somebody who's listening grow your podcast into like a top five Apple podcast? (laughs) I would say, you know, be find a way to be consistent. So consistent in terms of the pacing of how, how often you release your podcast, but also, you know, it's like, you know, growing up when you had a TV show that you want to watch, you had a general even though the episode may have different things, right? You had a general idea of what you were tuning into. So yeah. you want to make sure that your your the way that you craft your podcast, people know in general what you're talking about because you don't want them to listen to your podcast and feel like, oh, you know, this is totally not interesting. You know, <laughs> this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not interesting. So being able to have kind of, thematic kind of overarching things that you talk about will help and then being able to you know have episodes where you can explore different facets of that will help you be more consistent or help people vibe more with what you're doing so I think you know one one thing that I think some people do in podcasting they're like let's just hit record and just start talking but if you don't have a you know, you don't have a path or structure about where you're trying to go, at least at a high level, you know, it'll confuse people and they probably wouldn't want to tune in. So, you know, you want to like, even my description, 
So when I do descriptions, I try to make sure that I'm very detailed about what we're going to talk about. So if someone reads the description, they know exactly what the F's, what I said. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they don't have to guess what I said. Or, you know, if, if it's not something they're interested in, then they, they don't have to listen, right? But it's in there so that they can say, oh, yeah, I want to know about this particular topic. So I'm going to listen to this episode. Absolutely. Totally. Um that is that is such good advice, and it takes us actually to, unfortunately, the last part of our interview here because it's almost time, and I want to be respectful and mindful of your time. Um, but I hope you come back soon, or um, you invite me to your podcast. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a few outros questions for you. Um, mm-hmm. And these are just like fun questions, so answer okay. however you wish. Um, what is one thing that we don't know about you that you may want to share? Oh, wow. Let's see. Okay, well, I'll share one thing. So I was, let me see, let me try to think how I want to say this. So uh, my name is Debbie Reynolds, and I was named after the actress Debbie Reynolds. I don't know if anybody knows that. So yeah. Debbie Reynolds was. Uh, if you're a certain age, a lot of people don't know who she is, right? So <laughs> I tell the younger people, yeah. I say she was Princess Leia's mother, I guess, right? <laughs> yes. uh, so when my I was born, my brother had a crush on the actress, and he convinced my parents to name me after her. So that's <laughs> that is a really cool story. Uh, <laughs> what is a book you have gifted the most or that you have recently um, really liked? Oh, great question. Um, oh, I can't. Oh, I think the book that I've gifted the most, I think it's called A Tree of Life. I have to look back and make sure. I got it's called you. A Tree of Life. Uh, I think I, that's the one I've, over the years, I, I have several copies that I've bought. Actually, my best friend bought it for me in college. I bought myself a copy. I, I would have several mm-hmm. that I would give out to people. Hugh Nessenson? Yeah. How does a woman who had everything find her way in this world when all the meaning has been removed? Yeah. 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 Very cool. Very cool. But uh, yeah, I think that's a really interesting book. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I love to read. I like to read a lot of stuff, especially about, you know, I love reading like psychology, you yes. know, technology, yeah. you know, how all that fits together, you know, how people think, how people make decisions. I Absolutely. love that. Uh, what is a book? Well, you are an author, but what is a, another book you may write? Oh, wow. That's a, that's an excellent question. That's one of the best questions I've ever heard, actually. Oh, uh, the book that I want to write is about how people are deferring their human decision or judgment to computers. Ooh. Yeah. That's that's something I I thought I was hoping would never happen, but it's definitely happening now, which concerns me. So it's like, you know, we're it's almost like we're, we're trying to give computers or robots or AI almost like human qualities, you know. So you see a robot and it looks like a human, right? It's like, no, it's not. It's actually not a human. It's like, uh, you know, I, I tell people it's like the difference between a teddy bear and a grizzly bear. So we're treating technology like a teddy bear and we need to be treating it like a grizzly bear. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, does it have something to do with who's behind that keyboard, though? Whether it's a teddy bear or a grizzly bear? Well, I think the the problem is we don't understand enough about what technology is doing and what decisions is making about us. So let's say, let's say you went onto a website. You're doing a you're doing a paper about cancer research, or let's say you have a friend that had cancer. You like looking up something. Uh, let's say the AI for whatever thing you're looking at or at, they say, well, we think that this person is searching because they have cancer. And then I'm going to sell this information to an insurance company that's going to cancel your insurance and not tell you why. That is the problem, right? Or you have, I, I read an article about a drone. It's a drone 
uh, like the military has drones where they, you know, identify people. It's very like high, like movie stuff, right? So you have a drone, drives around, you know, flies around trying to identify people. And if it's like a military drone, they try to identify a person and they try to kill the person, right? So there was an article about this drone that they said, they swore up and down that they did not give the drone a command to do this. But they the drone detached itself, went out flying around looking for an individual person and trying to kill them. It was like, this is not good because we're, <laughs> we're letting the technology control itself. Like, we're supposed to be controlling technology. That sounds, like, that sounds like a lie, but I, I'm going to give I'm going to do it to the I government. Right. Enough to come up with such right. an answer. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's something that like a five-year-old would tell you. Yeah. Like <laughs> uh, but um, I... I, we could do an episode only about how AI is taking over our decision making. I think that would be really cool. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, uh, and um, anything, uh, if there was, let's see, let's wrap it up in one last thing. If there's one thing you want the audience to remember about privacy, about you, um, let's give them the last little tidbit. To yeah. Yeah. I would say be be um, aware. Be aware of what you share. Uh, so I think a lot of times it was like, oh, we're going to give technology all this data. And then we like are afraid because it's out of hand. So once it's out of your control, you can't really do a lot about it. So keep things in your control if you don't want it misused or abused. That's probably my best advice. Perfect. Thank you for that, Debbie. Where can people find you? Uh, so I have a website called uh, DebbieReynoldsConsulting.com. I also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast directories. It's called The Data Diva Talks Privacy. Well, thank you so much, Data Diva, for coming on my podcast. Uh, I'm lost. I hope to see you soon again. And this was a great interview. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. This is so much fun. I really appreciate it. <laughs>